0: Thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure that you are up to date on all things the cross. So be sure to head over to our website, thecross.family. Here's where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Now, here's the latest message from the Cross Church. Blessings. All righty. We are moving on with our series in the book of Acts. I've entitled the sermon today, The Midnight Hour. I, I don't even know if it really goes, to be honest with you. It just, it sounds like such a cool, catchy title for a sermon. So I'm going to go with The Midnight Hour. Um, how are we enjoying working through the book of Acts right now? Are you guys enjoying it? Um, pretty amazing. I, uh, I will say to you before I start today that my intention is always to preach a nice, wonderful, warm message on a Sunday. I like apple pie, and on a cold morning, we want some comfort food, and we want something that is just going to, you know, comfort the soul. That is always my intention every week when I prepare. The Holy Spirit, however, is not always into my plans, and uh, sometimes when I read the scriptures, I will be looking for a warm, comforting message, but instead, what I find is something that can at times be very, very convicting. Um, I will say this morning that uh, we are going to see a couple of things, and we're going to look at two stories in particular. They are absolutely spectacular as we see God move in a spectacular way to just build His church. The thing that's difficult for me, though, about the book of Acts, and I don't know if you've gone through this, but I've been going through this as we've been studying this book, is sometimes when we read the Bible, We can somehow excuse ourselves. I I am amazing at excusing myself. I can get myself off the hook in almost any situation. And when we read the Old Testament, sometimes I'll read it and I'll go, well, you know, it's the Old Testament, different culture, different time, under the law, I'm out, I'm off. I don't have to do what Jeremiah did because ah, just different time, right? Then we read the Gospels and we see what Jesus does and we want to get convicted, but we get ourselves off the hook because we go, it's Jesus. I mean, come on. Like, He's perfect. Of course, Jesus will sacrifice Himself. Like, I don't necessarily need to do that, but it's Jesus. Then we get to where we are now, and it's like God just puts the squeeze on all of us, and He goes, I'm going to use ordinary, everyday people under the New Testament, under grace, and I'm going to use them to do things These people are exactly like you. There is nowhere for you to go, little mister, get yourself out of trouble, out of jail card guy. There is nowhere to argue yourself or anything like that. So today, what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at how Paul and Silas just are so relentless in their mission and in their cause to present the gospel. And if we were to read this with any kind of integrity and any kind of self-awareness, we will very quickly have to look at ourselves and ask ourselves the question, are we perhaps at times just too comfortable? um, Or are we allowing the Holy Spirit to, to lead us and use us in the way that He desires? One of the questions I get fairly often is, how do we witness? We are called to be witnesses. How do we do that? Um, I believe that we are going to get two beautiful examples today of how these men witness to others. And let me just say this before we dive in. What I really like about the book of Acts is we get real life situations thrown at us. It's a little bit like the comic book of the Bible. It's like we're actually getting pictures to go along the theology, which is absolutely amazing. So now that I've built it up, Let's dive into this this morning. We're going to follow and we're going to go from Acts chapter 16. And there is some great stuff about to happen. So buckle up. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. It's almost Halloween. So I thought this would be a great little thing to throw in here. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. Even the apostles got annoyed, so that's okay. So that's good. We're allowed to be annoyed. Um, He got so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Oh, you know, when I get annoyed and frustrated and angry, I get snippy, um, I get sarcastic, and I become quite amusing, to be honest with you, to be around. It's actually, if I'm not annoyed with you, it's actually fun to watch me get annoyed with others. When Paul the Apostle gets annoyed, he casts demons out of people, right? When Paul finally turns around and looks you square in the eye, things are going to leave your soul, right? This is how Paul rolls. Um, full disclosure, I tried this in youth on Wednesday night. <laughs> Nothing worked. They're still evil. Uh, they're still evil. <laughs> but um, but before we go on yeah. What I find fascinating in this little moment, and this is sort of like a little sidebar for the sermon today, is yo we find a lady that is possessed by an evil spirit, and she's fortune telling. And for all accounts, what I can see and what I can tell is, is that she's pretty accurate in what she's doing. Um, she is so accurate, as a matter of fact, that people are paying her to get their fortunes read. I get asked actually quite often. What is my take on these things? Do I believe that ghosts are real? Do I believe that fortune tellers are real? Do I believe that mediums are real? Is it okay to play with a Ouija board? And so on and so forth. And when I say I often get these questions, I mean 100% from the possessed teenagers is when I typically get these questions. Let me say this, the supernatural is 100% real. We believe in the supernatural. The Bible actually says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against higher principalities of darkness and of evil. So do I believe that these things are real? Yes, absolutely. I believe that these things are real. So what is my advice to you then when it comes to these things? I'm going to tell you what my neighbors are telling everybody in our neighborhood. Um, Everybody's getting the Halloween stuff up and they put this board up in front of their house. And this is what it says. There's only one ghost that lives in this house, and that's the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. So, so I'm going to take that and I'm going to say this to you. The only ghost you should be messing around with is the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Leave them other ghosts alone. Okay. So Acts 16, verses 19 24. We carry on here. Paul delivers this girl. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. There's an expression that I have come to learn over the last 20 years or so of being a Christian, and uh, you should know this saying, and the saying is, no good deed goes unpunished. Have you heard this saying? I believe that this might have actually been coined during the time of Acts because this is what we see time and time and time again. We see the apostles, we see the disciples moved by the Holy Spirit, moved by compassion. And as they speak the truth, as they preach the gospel, people are set free and people are delivered. And I know we are thinking to ourselves today, but surely to goodness, if anybody is doing good like that, people should respond positively. The truth has a way of stirring people up in a negative way at times. And yeah, these guys are doing what they do. And instead of being praised for it, instead of being rewarded for it, they actually get thrown into jail. What I find interesting is, is first they get flogged in Times Square, which I don't think was a fun experience. But then they not only get thrown into prison, but the Bible says they are thrown into the inner jail of the jail. This is like the jail of the jail. I mean, it is the darkest, dreariest, slimiest, stinkiest. I'm adding all this. I don't know if it was stinky. It might have smelled lovely down there like lavender, but I don't think so. Um, it was absolutely awful. And you, these two disciples do everything they're asked to do by the Holy Spirit. And their reward for this is they get thrown into the deepest, darkest, slimiest place. You know, I um I I think it's hard for me to wrap my head around the conviction of these men because there's a part of me that goes, surely to goodness, at some point, you get out of this business, right? If every time you go up to a person and have a conversation with that person, he smacks you square in the mouth, surely at some point, you're going to stop going and having a conversation with that person, yet these guys Never stop and they remain consistent. Time and time again, they put themselves in harm's way and they do it with joy and they do it with compassion and they do it with conviction. They are constantly going into the lion's den, and what they get for their troubles is they get flogged, they get imprisoned, and they get persecuted. As human beings, or rather me, myself, I know that for me, I am wired for comfort. Ladies and gentlemen, By my physique, you can see that I am wired for comfort. I am not going to be running the Ironman any time soon. I'm wired for comfort, but at the same time, I'm wired for success. I want to feel like I am successful in life, and I want to feel comfortable whilst doing it. Unfortunately, I do not believe that I'm the only one that thinks this way. And what I've noticed in my own life and what tends to happen is, is When we are wired for success, but we're also wired for comfort, the minute things get difficult, the minute things get tough, the minute there's a little bit of adversity in the picture, our tendency is is we want to remove ourselves from whatever it is that's difficult or from whatever it is that's causing the discomfort. The other thing that we will very often do is is we will tell ourselves, well, if my decisions are creating this much discomfort, it must mean that I'm making the wrong decisions. Oh man, that is just so nice and tidy and easy, isn't it? I mean, it's just so nice to believe that every bad decision will lead to bad consequences. Every good decision will lead to good consequences. That is nice. That is neat. That is tiny, tidy, tidy. I I bring you bad news though. Sometimes in life, you will do the right thing at the right time in the right way with all kinds of integrity and the consequences are not gonna be good. They're gonna be bad. And that's sometimes how it works. So my question then becomes as I watch Paul and Silas and as I watch them repeat this pattern over and over again of putting themselves out there but then having to face this kind of persecution, my question becomes, how is that even possible? How do you keep on putting yourself in harm's way? How do you remain consistent when you need to be consistent in living the selfless life? And I believe the answer is actually found in a message that Paul is going to give a little bit later on that we're going to look at. But later on, Paul says this, he says, "Um, my life, I have my life, my movements, and my being, everything that I am is found in Christ. My identity is found in Christ. Christ. My significance is found in Christ. My comfort is found in Christ. Everything that I am is rooted and grounded in the gospel. It's not about my outward circumstances. It's about who God has called me to be and who He declares me to be. I want to say to you today that the only way it is possible to live a selfless life on mission for the gospel is you cannot find your identity and outcome. You just cannot. There are going to be times where you're going to do everything the Holy Spirit is asking you to do, and the outcomes are not going to be there. It's not going to be what you were hoping for. You're not going to get the gratitude you were hoping for. You're not going to get the results that you were hoping for. There are going to be times where you're going to build an ark for a million years, and there will not be a cloud in the sky. And that's not because you're not being obedient to the Holy Spirit. It's because sometimes the outcomes don't always line up. But when our identity, when our significance, when our success, when our comfort, when those things are found in Christ and in the gospel, it puts us in a place where we can be consistent in spite of the results. Uh, Mr. Ryan Colson is sitting over there, and he always says this to me. He says that one of the most uh, godly characteristics is consistency. The ability to remain consistent, the ability to remain selfless and consistently selfless depends upon what we are rooted in and what we are grounded in. These men found their self-worth and their security in the gospel. Because they found their security in the gospel, it allowed them to be resilient in the face of adversity. Walking in faith is all about being faithful even when the results aren't there. It's funny because we want to win and we want to see signs and wonders, but the signs and wonders have a tendency of hiding in adversity. We all want to experience breakthrough. We all want to see God work and move in miraculous ways. But in my experience, I have found that it is in the darkest cell. It is at the midnight hour. It is when all hope has been lost. It is in the valley. It is in the fight. It's in the eye of the hurricane where we see Him move significantly. It's in those places where we see miracles. It's in those places where we see the Holy Spirit move in miraculous ways. And man, we want the move of the Holy Spirit, but we also never want to not be comfortable. (laughs) We always want to be at the crest of the wave, but it's in our consistency. It is in our ability to remain in difficult places as the Holy Spirit leads us that we will experience that breakthrough. When your security is found in the gospel, you won't act different when times are good or when times are tough. I was uh, reminded this week as I was thinking just through this truth and through this point, I was reminded of Jesus saying that we are to build our house on the rock and not on sand. And what Jesus was saying is, is root yourself in me. Build your life on me. Have me as your Influence and your security and your significance and your comfort. Let me be your victory. Let me be the one that feeds you. When I become that, it doesn't matter if the wind blows or the lightning strikes, you will be safe and you will be secure. And as I was thinking through that, it just sort of reminded me that your ability to invite strangers into your house has nothing to do with the weather, it has everything to do with the foundation the house is built on if we are only going to be available to selflessly witness and to selflessly love those in our lives when our lives are 100% perfect, I've got news for you. You're never going to witness, and you're never going to reach out, and you're never going to be selfless. And some of us live in this space where we go, you know what, I'm going through a tough patch right now, but the minute I get through this tough patch, I will make myself available to the Lord. Some of us have been going through a tough patch for 20 years now. Um, Tough patch is a part of life. Paul is called. Silas is called. They have this ability to run into the fire because of their conviction, because of their passion, because of the fact that they are rooted and grounded in Christ. Let's keep on moving here. Acts 16, 25 to 26. These guys are unfairly, unrighteously thrown into prison for setting a girl free And look at how they respond to all of this. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I've said this to you before, and I'll say this to you again. Do not mess with the Holy Spirit. Do not mess with God's anointed. Do not mess with the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And they keep on making the same mistake, these guys. They keep on messing with Paul, and God keeps on showing up and doing miraculous things. But I want to focus a little bit on Paul's attitude here. Um, I am known for my amazing attitude, so this did not convict me at all when I read it in the week, but let's maybe dive into a couple of things that Paul is not doing. Notice how Paul is not bitter with God while he's hanging from a wall in a dark, stinky, smelly, slimy place after doing exactly what God had told him to do. Notice how Paul's attitude is not, if you had just left me alone on the road to Damascus, I'd be flying high right now. But you couldn't resist, could you? You had to knock me off my horse. You had to come and give me a revelation, right? You couldn't leave me alone. Now here I am and my life is hell and it's your fault. We don't see Paul doing that. You know what else we don't see Paul doing? We don't see Paul saying to Silas, so where's John right now? Where is he? He had a revelation of Jesus. Why is he not hanging up here? Where is John? John the beloved. I'm sick of John. I hate John. I want to smack John. I'm going to flog John the next time I see him. Why is he not hanging up here? Why is it just us hanging in chains? Didn't he walk with Jesus? Doesn't he have a whole gospel? What's up with that, right? We don't see Paul getting all bitter about how the other disciples are not being treated or should be treated. You know what else we don't see Paul doing? We don't see Paul going, so where are they? Surely to goodness, they're cooking up a plan. Peter, John, the rest of them, James, right, the brother, are they going to come rescue us? Is there some kind of a plan to break us out of here? Where are these guys? Are they going to come and help us? I'm bitter and I'm angry right now. We don't see that either. We don't see self-pity in this moment. We don't see a victim mentality. We don't see these men sitting there unfairly treated, blaming God, blaming life, blaming their brothers. We don't see that happening. You know what else we don't see happening? We don't see them trying to come up with a plan for a jailbreak, right? This is where the movie could get so cool right now. Like one dude has a tattoo and the tattoo's actually a map out of there. And, you know, they start, you know, making like a little thing on the wall and a poster and a stone. You don't see any of that. They're not trying to get themselves out of the jam that they're in. They're not blaming anybody. They're not waiting for anybody to come and rescue them. They're not trying to concoct a weird plan to get out of there. What do these men, these faithful men do when they are in that dark place, that midnight place, that place that's unfair, that place that's impossible, that place that's difficult? They lift their gaze to Christ Jesus, and they start to sing His praises. And they start to pray, and they start to sing. You know what I do in my house when the noise gets loud downstairs when I'm trying to watch television? It's the worst thing ever. I turn the volume up on the television and I make it so loud that the neighbors can't even hear. And if that doesn't work, I put the subtitles on. That's the only time I read is when I'm trying to read what Ted Lasso has to say on the TV. But here's the deal. When the noise is turned up in your life, when times are tough, when it's become when adversity is at your doorstep, that's not the time to turn down the volume on your praise. That's not the time to turn down the volume on your prayers. That's not the time to stop reading what God has to say. As a matter of fact, it is when all hope is lost that we turn on the subtitles, which is His Word. It is then that we turn on the volume of our praise and our worship and we worship our way out of trouble. That's how we do it, church. We worship our way out of trouble. What will will get us through our tests and our trials is not our strength. I hate to say that to you, but it's our faith. It's our faith. It's our trust. It's our belief in the one that is capable of shaking any foundation, the one that can tear apart any chain. That's what gets us through all the carnage. That's what gets us through the tough time. True faith is when we direct our energy towards the problem solver instead of the problem itself. I love this. Look at this amazing thing that happens here. It says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them question that we're trying to answer today is, is how can I be a witness? How can I be a witness even during times when my life is not perfect? Let me say this to you. When you're singing in the dark, those with you will see the light. When you're singing in the dark, the prisoners with you will see the light. It is in your moments that are the most difficult, that are the most challenging, that are the most out of your control, it is in those moments where we are given the opportunity to be witnesses for how great Christ is more than at any other time. And there are other people where you are. There are other people in that prison with you. There are other people in the darkness as well. And when they see your faith, it will start to redeem and set them free. Look at what happens here. Man, and you just, you can't, you can't. Every time I think I've got the conclusion of the story, right? I'm so good with movies. I I always know what's going to happen. Okay, so the girl's going to take out her pigtails, remove the glasses. She's going to become the most pretty girl in the high school, and they're going to get together at the prom. Boom, nailed it. Know what the movie is. Okay, (laughs) right? Every movie. Every time I think I've figured it out with this, though, there's another twist. Okay, so. God has broken them out of prison. If I'm Paul, I'm running out of there, and I'm just like, kick this guy in the face, this God, and I'm just like, yeah, see you later, right? Nope, look at this, Acts 16, 27 to 34. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped, right? Back in those days, they didn't take any nonsense, So if he was responsible for the prisoners escaping, he would actually be executed. So he's about to take his own life. But look at what our man Paul does. But Paul shouted, "'Don't harm yourself. We are all here.'" The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' They replied, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved.'" you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Come on. They have every opportunity to just run, right? They're in jail unfairly. They shouldn't even be there. They're in jail because they set a girl free. Now they have the opportunity to run free. And once again, they give up their own freedom to see this man get set free. Man, if there's one thing we get out of the book of Acts, it's this these men, these women are committed beyond anything to see others receive the freedom they have received. It's not about their comfort, it's not about their freedom. It's not about anything to do with them. It's all about the mission of seeing others set free. But our God is so good and our God is so faithful. So again, the story takes a twist. Acts 16, 35 to 36, look at what it says. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released now you can leave, go in peace. Man, God is so good, right? So God works out a way that the jailer doesn't lose his life, but he actually gets saved. God works it out in such a way that Paul and Silas do what is right, but they also get freedom at the end of all of it, right? It's, it's like the super duper happy ending. It just comes together and it's perfect and it's beautiful and it's magnificent but there was a moment, let me say this to you, there was a moment where Paul and Silas had the opportunity. There was this crossroad. There was this moment where they had to choose. Do we stay in this moment and witness to this man that's, that's dying, or do we bolt for our freedom? And I can think of every reason under the sun why running in that moment makes more sense that God, this one person is important, but we're called to build the church. So if we die today, then maybe the church dies. So we're gonna leave this jailer. We're gonna leave the one so that we can go build a bigger thing. There is no bigger thing for God than the one. (laughs) There just isn't. So they stay in that moment and they give up what must have looked like the opportunity of a lifetime. Church, I, I will tell you today, that there is going to be moments in your life where you're going to be at that same crossroad. There are going to be moments where you can choose to do the right thing. And in that moment, doing the right thing, it's going to feel like you're giving up on everything else. Maybe it's a money thing. Maybe it's a relationship thing. Maybe it's a marriage thing. Maybe it's a job thing. But these moments come in life where we have to choose And in the moment we have to choose, it feels like we're giving up everything to make the right decision. And maybe it's true. Maybe you are giving up everything in that moment to make the right decision. But I believe with all of my heart that when we do what is right, we are placing ourselves under the authority of Almighty God. When we follow His prompting, when we follow His leading, we are stepping into His incredible grace and His incredible flow. And once we're in that place, we access the impossible. Now the impossible becomes possible. And he sets these men free, and he gets the jailer saved. And it all happens because these men were willing to do what God had called them to do. And in doing so, in facing adversity, in facing sacrifice, they are completely set free. I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet in this place today. Yeah, normally, normally when I do a sermon, I've got three points, a poem, and uh, you know, I've got a very clear-cut sort of point that I'm trying to make. This week, I just want this Holy Spirit. I just want Scripture to move in your hearts today. I know that as I read through the story in the week, I felt extremely convicted, and I started to ask myself, Oh, Lord, what is not surrendered to you in my life? What are some of the creature comforts that I am holding on to? Paul will go on in the story and he will go to Athens. And in Athens, he will see a society that just worships all kinds of gods. There's idols everywhere. There's all kinds of gods everywhere. And there's even a plaque in Athens dedicated to the unknown God, right? And Paul has the opportunity to preach. And he goes, listen, This unknown God that you're looking for is not so unknown, but He is made known in Christ Jesus. He lived, He was crucified, and He rose again so that you may have life. And this void that you're trying to fill in your life, these things that you're hanging on to, you've created idols in your life. You've run after comfort. You've run after significance. You've run after all of these things in search of this unknown God, but still you remain unfulfilled, still you remain empty. But Paul will come and say, but Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It is in Him that we live, we move, and we have our being. No longer do you have to search and seek and run after the unknown God, but God has made Himself known through His Son, and we can know the power of God through His resurrection. So Father, this morning, I want to pray for everybody in this place, Lord. I am stirred as I read through the book of Acts, Father. I am convicted. I feel excited. I feel passionate, Lord. Father, I want to thank you this morning for a church that doesn't find its security in all kinds of stuff. We don't find our security in feeling successful. We don't find our significance in feeling comfortable. We don't find our significance in in finances or things or feelings or emotions. But I thank you, Lord, that we find our full selves in you. It is in you, Jesus, that we live, we move, we have our being. It is in you that we are anchored, that we are secure. I thank you, Father, that it is in that security that you can use us in a mighty, mighty way to reach those that are lost and hurting and broken. So Father, this morning, I will ask two things. I will ask that you will reveal to us the areas that we've built idols in our lives. Father, help us to remove these things. Help us to build our life firmly on the rock of your salvation. And then Father, secondly, I pray that you will show us those that are hurting. Show us those that are going through whatever it is that they're going through. Help us to be the voice in the darkness. Help us to be a light when there is no other light. Help us to run towards the hurting, the broken, instead of running away from it. If you're in this place today, and maybe this is your first time in church, maybe you've been to church a million times, but today during the sermon, even during worship, you realize that there's something missing in your life. You have been seeking after the unknown God. You've been running after all kinds of different things. You know there is something wrong. You know there's a void in your life. You know that things are not what they should be. You've just never been able to puzzle it together. Well, this morning in the midst of the sermon and the worship and the experience, God has revealed Himself to you. And you know now that it is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that you can have the life that you've been looking for. So if that's you this morning, then I want to pray for you. Father, I want to pray for all of those in this place that are ready to take that next step in their journey. I want to pray for those that say, I have been empty, I have been lost, but now I have been found by the gospel. I have been rescued by your grace. Father, I am ready to sacrifice to you, live for you, be humbled by you. We love you, Father. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. If you said that final little prayer with me this morning, then we want to connect with you. We want to walk a road with you. We want to disciple you. We've actually got a free gift for you this morning. So as you leave, go pick up a Bible. We want to connect with you. Otherwise, we love you so much. Go out there this week. Have an absolutely wonderful week. We will see you same time, same place next week. God bless.